Okay, today's scripture is Luke 19, 28 through 44. After he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Just say this, The Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloak, the cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would cry out. As he came near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, If you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace, but only now they are hidden from your eyes. Indeed, the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up ramparts around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. They will crush you to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave you within you one stone upon another, because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Uh, So if you knew it was the last week of your life on earth, what would you do? How would you live that week? Would you show up to work on Monday? Would you do any of your homework? No. <laughs> They're like, uh, no. Yeah. Uh, you know, how many of you would be uh, booking a one-way ticket to Europe or the Caribbean? You know, uh, I, I bet for most of you, myself included, that week I wouldn't do it normally. I'd probably spend most of my time hanging out with my family, friends, those I love, making sure my my household's in order if I knew it was the last week that I was here on earth. Um, But we unfortunately don't have that type of insight when it comes to life. We typically don't know when it's our last week on earth. We aren't in control of life in that way. But Jesus, as he's riding into Jerusalem on this Sunday morning, some 2,000 years ago, he knew that his life on earth was about to end. He knew that this was his last week on earth. And so the, the Bible records what he did during this week, uh, what he did on that Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and so forth. And so we're going to be spending time during this season of Lent going through the last week of Jesus's life on earth. And in the Methodist church and in many denominations, uh, we have this season called Lent to reflect uh, really on Jesus's life and, and to reflect on who we are in Christ. And in Lent, as I said, it's the 40 days before Easter. 
It doesn't include Sundays. So any of you math people who add up the days, you, you have to add the Sundays in, but it's the 40 days excluding Sundays before Easter. And, and traditionally, it has been a season of fasting and repentance and prayer and, and reflection, just kind of meditating on, on who we are, what we've done, uh, how Christ has saved us. And it's kind of a season to really kind of start over. You know, we just had the new year. Some of you had New Year's resolutions, and some of you are doing great. Some of you are just like, those are done. So it's, it's now time to start over. It's a reset in a sense. And to, to remember what Jesus has done in our lives. It's a time to reflect, truly reflect on the gift of Jesus that God has given to us. God gave, we received, and then we're called to, to send that gift out as well. God sent to us, we received, and Lent is a reminder too that we have been sent out into the world. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, said this, the world is my parish or church. The world is my church. And we believe that same thing, that we have been sent out into the world to proclaim Christ, his death and resurrection. And so we know that we have been sent out, but sometimes we need a reminder about the story, the why, the why of why we've been sent out into the world. And so uh, each Sunday during this season, we're going to focus on a different day of the week. And we'll see how Jesus chose to live his final week on earth. He could have done anything he wanted to, but this is what he chose. So it's Sunday. Literally, today is Sunday, but we're looking at that, that Sunday of the first of that last week of Jesus' life on earth. That, that day that we call a Palm Sunday. That's why we had the palms. And you read this, we read the scripture in just a second, a second ago. And, and, but I'm going to reread this text again from Luke. And, and as I read it, again, I always encourage you to place yourself in the story. And, and, and to see what you, you feel, smell, touch, taste. How does this affect you as you're reading this story? So as I read it again, kind of reflect. You can close your eyes. You can watch it on the screen. You can look it up yourself. It's Luke 19. Uh, But it says this. After Jesus said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethpage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you'll find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and they found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked him, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus. And after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heavens. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. As he came near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, If You, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Indeed, 
The days will come upon you when your enemies will set up ramparts around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. They will crush you to the ground and you and your children within you, and they will not leave within you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. Now, indeed, some 40 years later, Jerusalem will be destroyed, but that's another story, another sermon. But here as Jesus is is riding into Jerusalem, he's coming from Bethpage and Bethany, it says. It's only about two to three miles from Bethany, Bethpage to Jerusalem. And if you can picture the city of Jerusalem, it's a city on a hill. It's built on this little hillside up here. And so here's Jerusalem. And and on on the east side, as it comes down, there's the the Kidron Valley. It's just right outside the, the, the temple walls there. And right as you go up from that little valley is the Mount of Olives. And then right up on the other side there is Bethany and Bethpage. So here he's riding down the mount, the, into the Kidron Valley into Jerusalem. And now Jesus had been in Jericho earlier uh, that day. Uh, but again, this is more than just a journey from these cities into Jerusalem. This has been a journey that Jesus has been preparing for his entire life. In fact, he prepared it so well that he even, you know, ha- had plans for this donkey that that somehow God has spoken to the owner of this uh, colt and had provided for him to ride in this last little bit into the city. Uh, but the donkey isn't there for his comfort. We know that. It's rather, it's a sign for the people. It, it is ripe with symbolism. It's a clear sign. Because 550 years earlier, Zechariah the prophet announced this day that was to come. Zechariah 9.9, it says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you triumphant and victorious is he. Humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So here we have this prophecy and this sign, and Jesus is here trying to fulfill this sign. And and many of the people were hopeful. They were recognizing what Jesus is doing. They saw some of the power, as the text said, what miraculous things he had done. And so they began to shout out, Hosanna, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And in the other texts, Matthew, Mark, and John, it talks about how they took uh, palm branches and they waved them as they were throwing their cloaks on the ground and, and throwing palm branches as well and waving these branches. And, and for us in the 21st century, this is kind of a, a, this seems a little bizarre. Even as we're walking around the church, it's a little bizarre, right? It's not a normal thing for us to do that. It, but because it's a different culture, let, let, let's get a little bit of historical context so that we can understand this scene a little better. Uh, why would they do this? What's the significance of this entry into Jerusalem? And so I'm going to give you a little bit of a history lesson. Way back in the book of Leviticus, Old Testament, God commands the people of Israel to celebrate certain festivals throughout the year. And they have many different festivals they celebrate. And in the fall of the year, uh, after the harvest, God commands the people to celebrate the festival of tabernacles or the festival of shelters. It's a seven-day festival where the, the Israelites were commanded to build these little shelters, little huts outside, and they were to live in these little huts for seven days to remind them of the 40 years that they were in the wilderness as they were journeying after Moses freed them from Pharaoh and the Egyptians. 
They went into the wilderness for 40 years and God provided, even though they didn't have a home. This festival of tabernacles was a symbolic reminder, placing them back into the story as if they were still uh, in the wilderness time. Make sense? What I love about these festivals that uh, God commands the people to do is it does it deep and helps them to put themselves back into the story as if they were there. And so for seven days, they'd live in these little huts they'd built. And, and during the feast, they're commanded to take branches of the palm trees. And that was part of the ritual of that time. And uh, palm fronds, willows, myrtle, and, and they would wave them overhead and shout, Hosanna. And so we read in Leviticus 23, verse 40, these words. On the first day of the festival, you take the fruit of the majestic trees, branches of palm trees, boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. And they'd have a procession around the temple for seven days. And as they're processing, they would be singing and shouting. They would be reciting Psalm 113 through 118. Those were the Psalms that were specifically for this season, shouting, Hosanna, praise you, Lord. You are king. Come and save us. And they would take these branches, they'd bind them together, and they'd wave them in front of them. And they'd wave them behind them and to their right and to their left, saying, Lord, you are our Lord. Be in front of us to the north, to the south, to the east, and to the west. Be all around us. You are there. You are our protection. And they still do this today. Uh, Orthodox Jews still do this today as they build these huts and celebrate this festival of tabernacles. And the people would save these branches and at Passover, they would use them to kind of symbolically sweep out the house as a reminder again. And so this gives us kind of a picture of the culture that's going on at this time and, and why this is significant as well, the reasons why they had these palm branches and why they shouted. Uh, but for us to make even a little more sense, we're going to have a little more history there to help us understand the significance of the scene that is unfolding before us as Jesus is riding into Jerusalem. And so 165 years before the birth of Jesus, there was a man named Antiochus Epiphanes who was from Syria. He conquered the Holy Land. He wanted the Jews to be less Jewish. He wanted them to be more of, have Greek culture and Greek gods. And so he wanted to do away with the Jewish religion and their customs. And of course, you can imagine the Jews naturally rebelled against Antiochus and his rule. So he invaded Jerusalem and desecrated the Jewish temple. You know what he did? He, he went into the, the Holy of Holies. He set up his own altar in the temple and he sacrificed a pig on the altar to the god Zeus. Now you can imagine this enraged the Jews that, that hear this foreign leader is coming in and desecrating their temple and, and sacrificing a pig on the altar to a pagan God. And at the time, there was a man who had three sons. And the oldest son started a rebellion against Antiochus and what's called the Seleucid Empire. They, they first led a revolt to cleanse the temple and, and, to, and to rededicate it to God. And it was such a great victory that the Jews still celebrate this rededication of the temple today. You know what the, season, the, the holiday is? Hanukkah. 
That's where we get Hanukkah. That's the celebration of Hanukkah, the rededication of the temple to drive out Antiochus Epiphanes and, and to bring in God again into the temple. Now, this family was the Maccabee family. And Judas Maccabee was the, the guy who helped rededicate the temple and push the, these, uh, these people, these pagans out of uh, Israel, out of uh, Jerusalem. And, and so as Judas is cleansing the temple, as he's kind of kicked them out of Jerusalem, as Judas comes back into the city, do you know what they do? They take palm branches and they start to shout and wave the branches saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna. They, they were excited because here's now a new king, someone who can rule us, who can kick these pagans out of the city. 24 years later, Judas' younger brother, Simon Maccabees, he led another revolt that completely displaced the Seleucid Empire and, uh, and the Syrians entirely. And when he rode into Jerusalem, what did, he, what did the people say? Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, because you have kicked out these pagans and, and the king is coming and you're starting a new day, a new year for Israel. They were so excited. And so the people, as Jesus is riding in, this is the expectation they have. They're looking back in their history. They're saying, oh, maybe this Jesus is like Judas Maccabees and he's gonna kick the Romans out. Maybe this, this Jesus is like Simon Maccabees and, and he's gonna completely kick him out. Maybe he's like King David. Maybe this is the heir of David that's gonna come and completely restore the temple and correct worship and, and make sure everything is going well. See, that's the, the king that they were expecting to ride into Jerusalem. You got the picture? So here Jesus comes in the city. His disciples and some of them had seen the miraculous things he had done and they were excited. They were ready. All right, here it comes. We're ready. The, the interesting thing though is during Jesus' time, there were hundreds of would-be messiahs who were, who were leading revolts against the Roman Empire and were trying to get them to be free from Rome, but Rome kept squelching those revolts. The people were looking for a new king to kick out Caesar, the king, and those rulers. But Jesus was laying out a different path of kingship and kingdom than what they were looking for. And because Jesus didn't do what they anticipated, on Sunday, they're shouting, Hosanna. On Friday, they're shouting, crucify him. How can that be? So here, we have this scene set up for us as Jesus enters into the city. But I want to read a little further on in the text and what Jesus does next. Because what Jesus does next on that Monday is a little shocking. It's verse 41 through 44. Well, actually, as he's coming in, 41 through 44, as he came near, he saw the city. This is before he's getting in there. It says, and he wept over it, saying, if you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for 
peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes. Indeed, the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up ramparts around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. They'll crush you to the ground, you and your children within you, and you will not leave within you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. Jesus is weeping over the city because they don't recognize what causes peace. And he's weeping over the city because he knows just in a short time that the the city and the temple that they're coming to is going to be completely destroyed. And he weeps. He's weeping because they're looking for the wrong king. And how often we look for the wrong king. They want a king to conquer. They want a king to kick out the Romans. They want a king who will stand up for for them. Give us another, another Judas Maccabees. Give us another Simon Maccabees. Give us another King David, a mighty warrior. Cleanse this place of the filth of the Romans. Cleanse this place of those pagan ways, those pagan gods. See, and, and here's the thing. The Jews wanted the right thing. They did. They wanted a temple that was holy and dedicated only to God. They, they wanted a temple that was cleansed. They, they wanted to know freedom. They're under Roman rule and they knew that they'd been ruled in slavery before by the Egyptians. They didn't want to go back to that. And so they wanted to be free. They wanted to know peace, but they were looking for it in the wrong ways. And how often we do that. And what's fascinating to me is, is that as Jesus comes into the city, he does indeed begin to cleanse out the temple, right? You remember the story? He begins to, to seek to heal the city and, and, and to bring about freedom and order, but he does it in a way that the people are just confused. And again, we read verse 45 and 46. Then Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling things there. And he said, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. So he's actually dri- driving out the Jewish people that are in there doing that. And so, you know, it just it makes you scratch your head and you're just like, wait a minute, Jesus, what, what, what's going on? You, what, you know, when, when you rode into the city, we thought you would start to attack the Romans first, that you were, you were beginning to start an army here. When, we, when you were going into the temple, we were excited because we were looking forward to you kicking out these guards out of the temple courts, getting these Romans out of here because, you know, they're really the problem. And all the terrible things they've done to our people, we were ready to take up arms to defend this temple and this city. We, we were ready to take up arms to defend our life. It, we're on your side, Jesus. So come on now. Sure, we have our own issues. We need to deal with those. But Jesus, we'll deal with those later. First, let's deal with the Romans. Because we can deal with the Romans now. Because that's why we want you here. Because we, you remember Judas, Simon, David? Yeah, that's what we want. Because Jesus, the bigger problem is the Romans. We can all rally around that. Now, sure, Jesus, after we conquer the Romans, we'll give you a little bit of time to talk about some of the things we need to deal with. But first, let's talk about the Romans. You know, let's, let's deal with them first. Can't you see, Jesus? They're the big problem. You should be focusing on them and how they have made life a living hell here. If you're really gonna have peace, God, then you gotta get rid of them. Peace will come, Jesus, when the Romans are gone. You see, Jesus, the real problem is the Democrats. They're the problem. You know, it, and they're the reason we don't have peace. Let's, let's, if we got rid of them, no, Jesus, you see the Democrats, maybe they're not the problem. I'm pretty sure it was Trump. 
Trump's the issue. Trump's the reason we don't have peace. Trump's the reason we don't have, uh, it's chaotic in our world right now. I mean, thank goodness Trump's gone because now we can begin to have peace. And, And you know, while you're at it, it really wasn't Trump, it was COVID. COVID was the problem, you know, and and God, if you just get rid of COVID, we'd have a a little more peace. And and while you're at it, if you can help me make a little more money, then I'd be at peace with what I'm doing. And if you could help me with my grades a little bit, that'd be good. And if you could help my kids to just obey, and if I had a wife that would be a little more submissive, then I'd have peace, right? That's the problem. If you take care of all that, Jesus, then we're going to have peace, And what did Jesus say? Actually, he wept. He wept. Because the people didn't understand what makes for peace. The people didn't understand that that peace doesn't happen when all that's fixed. Peace happens when this is fixed. Jesus, if you'd fix all them, everything would be all right. And Jesus weeps. And he weeps because he doesn't understand that that we don't understand that we're the problem. It starts with us recognizing our sins first. It starts with us understanding that the world might be in chaos, but I've probably added to that chaos. I'm the problem. It's not someone else's fault. It's my fault. I need to get my own house in order before I start judging someone else's house. The path of peace that Jesus offers begins with the recognition that we have to get our own house in order first before we can begin to judge someone else's house. The path to peace begins with Jesus cleansing your heart first. That's that's the path of peace. It starts with you. It starts with me. The path to peace begins with Jesus cleansing our hearts first. As Jesus rides into Jerusalem that day, indeed, he was king. And he demanded to be king. But see, we wanted to be disciples that focused on everyone else first. Get them fixed first, God, and then I'll be your disciple. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to be king of you first. I've called you. It doesn't matter with the rest of the world. You are called to be my disciple. And so it starts with you changing your heart first. We're the problem. We're the obstacle to peace unless we submit our lives to the true king and to his kingdom. Amen? Amen. And so on this first Sunday of Lent, I want us to take a moment and kind of reset and to remind ourselves again that we, we really are the problem. That if we're going to have peace, we can have peace even when there's chaos all around us. If we will allow Jesus to transform us first. And then through us, we have been sent into the world to offer that peace to the rest of the world. Amen. So Wednesday was Ash Wednesday. And in the Methodist tradition and other traditions as well, we have this thing. It's called Ash Wednesday. It's the first day of the season of Lent. And some of you aren't used to this, but uh, the church for, for many centuries has, on this Wednesday, used ashes and uh, as a sign of repentance, as a sign of our mortality. And, and these ashes represent uh, 
is kind of a morbid thing as we start Lent because we recognize that we're not in control and that we're going to die. It's this recognition that without God, we're nothing. And also traditionally in the church, uh, the palms from Palm Sunday are burned and used for the ashes for next year's Ash Wednesday. And so this morning, I'm going to invite the band to come on up at this time. Uh, We're going to offer ashes this morning for any who want them. You don't have to have them, but you could just, you can come up. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to place my thumb in the ashes and I'm going to put the ashes on your forehead in the sign of a cross. It's a symbol to remind us that from ashes we came to ashes we shall return. It's also a symbol to remind us that we have been called as, as followers of Christ. We, all of humanity has been called to confess our sin, to admit, God, I'm the problem. And the only way that this world is going to be fixed is if you fix me. And so it goes from confession, admitting the sin, to repentance. What is repentance? It's turning from those things and following after God again. And so now this day, first Sunday of Lent, is is the perfect day to start over, to to recommit your life to Christ. And if you have never given your life to Christ before, today's the day, the perfect day for you to confess your sin, repent, and to begin to follow King Jesus in his ways of peace.